0: krishna bhaktaya tad bhaktaya good morning to all of you pranam welcome and we are continuing today with our serious and radical personalism <coughs> today is class 14 and we are continue with our sub-series on Guru Tattwa, fourth meeting on this topic. Today we will be talking about abandoning or on-living one's Guru. That's today's title. On-living one's Guru. But as usual, a brief recap before from what we saw last Tuesday in our third meeting on Guru Tattwa, about the absolute and relative sides of Sri Guru, where we Explain to begin with the importance of making it clear what do we mean by absolute and relative sides every time we talked about that, because there may be different ways of conceiving that. We mentioned how originally these two terms came from Sīla Maharaj by him referring as absolute to the principle of Samāstī, or the agency, so to say, of Sri Guru, and by relative to the principle of Vyāstī Guru, or the individual who represents the agent. Who represents the agency
1: mm-hmm.
0: but also we mentioned there may be another ways of conceiving absolute and relative size of the guru whether in terms of one guru the absolute side so to say having different being appreciated or related to in different ways the relative so to say experience from each particular disciple stance uh, or especially the main point that we emphasized was and we unfolded in the class, was that by relative, many times devotees will refer to the humanity, so to say, of the guru, and by the absolute they will refer to the inner world of bhakti, presented in the guru figure. Mm. So we also explain in that connection how on some level, at least, the relative side of the guru will generally be speaking about the absolute side, at least on a general level rule so to say it's not that we can divorce the two of them absolutely because again at least in most cases then we will touch upon some we touched upon some exceptions because the humanity of the guru is to be integrated with the spirituality as we mentioned our gaudiya project we, our goal is the nara lila where there is the reality there is fully divine but fully human simultaneously so one thing is not totally divorced from the other so we as sadhakas having not reached there yet we are expected to integrate our humanity our relative side with the absolute in so to say so in one sense one will be speaking about the other a guru may be a pure devotee i may have some grumpiness as we mentioned so to say and that's okay on some level as long as it doesn't get in the way of of his inner side so to say but that's not to speak about the relative side is not an excuse to over justify uh, these functionalities that need to be addressed and just saying oh it's the relative side the absolute side is untouched by that not not in all cases at least not in most cases even we quote how the bhagavatam mentions that the guru one of the qualities of the guru is supasam which means his senses and mind are under control or in other words his or her humanity is balanced Mm -hmm. relatively, at least on some level, again. Mm -hmm. So we should be very careful of not over-absolutizing the relative side of the guru to the point of, again, making it something that totally speaks about the... How to mention Like, if something is relative, it's relative, and something is absolute, it's absolute. One is speaking about the other, but at the same time, we are speaking about the two of them as different things so we shouldn't over-absolutize the relative because sometimes that takes us to over relativize the absolute side of the guru as well like my point is to absolutize the relative will be to have an over idealization of of, of a guru in, in aspects that you don't need him or her to be absolute or perfect and it's okay and if you have an over idealization of your guru you may have an over expectation of what's What's to come from that person? And if the guru accepts that, he or she may have an over-expectation from what is to be coming from the disciple who is having an over-expectation of him. So that creates a whole vicious circle and fantasy world in the relationship of the two with a set of expectations which do not match much, much reality, basically. <clears throat> also, we mentioned how the opinions of the guru on relative issues whatever social political issues are not necessarily to be taken as absolute also that's not his realm of uh, expertise and it's okay again they don't have to be perfect and absolute in every single area and of course because if not we will feel okay the guru has to be correct in everything he cannot be mistaken in anything so if actually the guru is mistaken in something even relative If the disciple does not allow him to accept that, he will think, no, no, it's my fault always. And that enters, creates a whole shame, guilt trip, neurosis, paranoia, to say the least. (laughs) Mm. Tila Prabhupada himself will say that overestimation of someone, Guru included, is a form of blasphemy. Mm. So in the name of glorifying, praising Sri Guru, we should be careful not to indulge in this absolutization of the relative side, so to say we also concluded, despite mentioning the relative side of the humanity gives a hint of the inner world. In some cases, more exceptional ones, we may say some personality is an abadut type of person with full love, but due to his abadutness, so to say, that person may externally on a social human level behave in ways that for us do not seem so functional and balanced. And in those cases, which again are quite exceptional, we should be careful not to judge the inner world of bhakti of that person because of, what, uh, in, because of what it appears to be external in our own eyes, basically. But even in those cases, if that person is a Prem, Bhakta, Abhadut, whatever, and has full adhikar in bhakti, that person lacks adhikar in terms of interacting with the world and and, and, and other people. So to be a guru, even you can have prem or whatever, but you need to have another adhikar, which is humanity relatively in place so you can interact with your disciples who are dealing with their own humanity, with their world. So that's an important point also. You may have prem, you may have you appear to be socially dysfunctional. It's okay, you still have prem, but probably you shouldn't be serving in the capacity of guru in those cases because some interaction is required on some level. So if a guru feels, sees that, that the disciple is, how to say, a guru has, my point is, if, if, and if the disciple is over-idealizing the guru, as we mentioned, the guru has to have the adhikar to deal with the lack of adhikar of his disciples who are over-idealizing him, whether by... Accepting, no, I'm not who you think you are or dealing, allowing them to feel that because they need that at that stage. But the Guru not buying into that, so to say. Again, not not forcing the notion, I have to be perfect in every way, or at least I have to seem to be perfect in every way. That's not necessary. So anyhow, some thoughts from last week's talk. And let's go to today's topic, which is again... Uh, on living one's guru, we will be talking in this direction. So let's begin by introducing today's lecture with a few words uh, explaining the title. Mm? So we will turn today to a little bit a typical scenario, or more and more typical, unfortunately, in some in our present times. But nonetheless, more exception to the ideal rule at least. Uh, again, it's far from the ideal, but it happens. Mm? So we should, if it's if something happens and we know it has happened, it continues happening, then we should talk about that so we know what to do, how to deal with that if we are going through that situation ourselves or if we see that situation happening next to us and how to understand that. So this a typical scenario may take two forms. One, having to reject one's guru for certain reasons that we will talk today or being rejected by one's guru that's a topic we will talk next week not today but it's somehow related one to another so again none of these two ideally should happen I'm talking from the realm of idealism ideally guru and disciple show should grow together each one in their own particular position of course with sincerity with trust with deep commitment to the devotional ideal and None of them should think about leaving each other, so to say. But to be realistic, again, uh, these forms of rejection have happened, especially the ones that we are addressing today, continue happening today on some degree, maybe on a greater degree than before. And Shastra speaks about that, especially about the situation of one having to leave one's guru. So if that's mentioned in Shastra, it means it can happen. It's considered by Shastra. Therefore, we are opening here today and next week the door for further conversation of some of these topics that sometimes remain more in uncharted territory, so to say, not that that explored. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when we are talking about this, and please bear in mind this for today's lecture, next week's lecture, and probably always, (laughs) that in Shastra... Shastra speaks from a certain way, not only about guru, about other things, <clears throat> but in many, in many cases Shastra will speak about something by considering not so much the exception to the rule, but the rule. The, the general rule, but also there are emergency rules or emergency situations. This is called a dharma in Sanskrit. So in, in an emergency, the general rule do not apply. That's how it works. I don't know. You have so many examples of that. No, I mean, you shouldn't, as a sannyasi, you shouldn't do certain things, but if the house is on fire, maybe you will have to do some things that you shouldn't normally do, it's whatever the case. No? <laughs> so my point is, if a, if a guru is engaged in, in moral behavior, to give an example, doing something it's not expected from a guru, that's not a normal situation. That's not what a guru should be doing. That's not the, the general example, but the emergency case. It's an emergency. <laughs> so therefore, all the statements that are in Shastra about guru, do, about the greatness of the guru, about this, how one should surrender to the guru, are not applicable in the emergency case. You follow my point? In those cases, there are another, another type of rules and criteria to be expressed. Why? Because, again, these general statements in Shastra do not take into account a guru of immoral behavior. Shastra speaks about guru, considering the guru is bona fide, is doing everything properly. So on that basis, Shastra glorifies Sri Guru. We already talked about that, no? Like Shastra speaks by assuming that the person who is a representative of the principle of Sri Guru is transparent medium and, Srila Prabhupada will say. and one is expected to fully surrender to that person who is fully representative but as we mentioned if that's not the case at least on some level then one should surrender proportionately to how much that person is representing the suit absolute, absolute in our lives basically so let's try to keep this point in mind when talking about these scenarios today and next class which may be more of many of them More the emergency rule than the general rule. And not only for these two classes. Keep these scenarios in mind always. So let's go to the next section where we will be talking about which are the qualities to be expected from both guru and disciple to begin with. Before speaking about why to reject the guru or when to reject the guru, first a disciple should ask himself why to accept a guru. (laughs) that's an important question that sometimes we don't ask that deeply maybe if you don't ask that question too deeply eventually you may end up rejecting your guru even for the wrong reasons because you didn't accept him for the right reasons (laughs) so so before asking when to reject the guru why to reject the guru first we should ask why to accept the guru Mm -hmm. if we are planning to accept the guru if you have accepted the guru We have to continue asking that question repeatedly. Not only what to expect from a guru, but why am I looking for a guru? What's my motivation for having a guru? I mean, I have to have enough integrity and courage and introspection as to filter and question my own motivations. Not to go into neurosis, but just to be sincere enough. And that's one of the main symptoms of the disciple, basically. That's our main... Part in the equation as disciples, as the Bhagavatam says, Jignāsus Utam. uttamam." One of the main qualities of the disciple is he or she has to be sincerely inquiring into the ultimate good, into the highest truth. So sincere, sincere inquiry into the ultimate good, introspection, in other words, you cannot be you cannot be a disciple without introspection. You have to have those qualities. Mm-hmm. If introspection is not there again, you may end up accepting a guru for the wrong reasons. The guru may be totally bona fide, but you are not bona fide as a disciple. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and even if you accepted a a guru for the wrong reasons, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: even if you never rejected guru, in one sense you have never accepted the guru. (laughs) Follow the point. So it's not black and white. No, it seems you accepted. It seems you rejected. In some cases, we will see, appears that you are rejecting, but you are accepting the essence. In some cases, it appears you are accepting, but you have never accepted the essence. so You keep rejecting. <laughs> and of course, not only we should take care of this ourselves as disciples, but the, the duty of the guru himself is to make sure that the disciple is looking for a guru for the right reasons. Maybe the disciple is not seeing those things, but the guru at least should see those things. That's why Sanatana Goswami mentions insisted ideally a guru and disciple before accepting each other should live together for at least for a year so they get to know each other and they get to know which are the motivations that both of them have for accepting each other. So the point is that the disciple going back to us and our responsibility in this equation has to have some introspection again which was Which is the primary, the original purpose of accepting a guru? Even if we already accept it. Again, we can continue asking that. Was my original purpose spiritual? Was probably material? And what's my expectation at present? Because one thing is how everything began, how everything continues. Things may happen on the way. Sometimes there is people who originally come for Sincere spiritual purpose is accepting the Guru, but later for whatever reasons their priorities change. Hmm? Or vice versa, some people originally accept the Guru without having a very clear picture about why to accept the Guru, but eventually they learn why <laughs> and they become very serious and sincere about that. And so many things can happen in, in each one's journey. So anyhow, this was the first point that I wanted to make clear. Before asking how or when or why to reject a guru, first spend some time asking why to accept a guru. That may critically affect, eventually, if if you end up rejecting or not, in which ways that can happen. So if somehow we were able to, how to say, to confirm (laughs) that, that we are somehow sincere in our project as disciples, sincere as much as we can, see in that our stage, uh, and we want to accept the Guru for the right reasons, then okay, then we are next to question or to look for which are the qualities that are to be exhibited by a Guru for us to accept him. Mm-hmm. We have to know those things. Mm-hmm. And by having those qualities clear, the qualities to reject a Guru will become clear naturally. Why? Because the qualities to reject the guru mostly have to do with not showing the qualities to accept the guru. We follow? The qualities that are, have to be there to accept the guru, the absence of those qualities will be the reason for one not to accept the guru or to reject the guru. So knowing one will take us to, to the other. As, as we will see, I will mention them. Of course, here I'm talking in very general terms. I'm not addressing any particular, specific, unique situation because each case has its own detail and uniqueness so here just sharing a general template uh, and each one has to fill in with their own details mm. so regarding the qualities to be expected from the guru unfortunately again sometimes disciples do not have a very clear idea of which are those qualities mm. uh, which are the quali- which is the qualification to be expected from a guru which is the function to be performed by the guru in one's life many times <clears throat> Prospective disciples mostly decide for a guru or another by social influence or without having too much ability to investigate the details, what Shastra says about that, which is the situa- the inner situation of the Guru. Or they they end up judging the adhikar of the guru by external things. Oh, he has so many disciples, he must be super advanced, or he's Hindu. He has long beard, beard, a nice turban, and sings nicely, and no many shlokas, or whatever. He's man, he's not a woman. I mean, all externals. So sometimes we end up deciding, oh, he will be or she will be my guru by something external. Or indeed, even worse, sometimes the guru doesn't know which are the qualities to be expected from a guru. <laughs> no, they do not have a very clear picture, What's their role, what's their attributes, what's their qualification that is required to fulfill the purpose of that service? Because remember, gurus post a role, service, Mm. but requires qualification, as you may imagine. So again, some time should be spent in in, in investigating these features, getting these features right, getting acquainted with what's expected from a guru. Mm. So let's share some of the main attributes expected from a guru. Mentioned in Shastra to, to, to have a clear picture. And this has been repeatedly mentioned in Shastra. And interestingly, the main verses that speak about this, all of them basically say the same thing, you know, like show this like consensus to, to make the emphasis go in this direction. So there are three verses that come to my mind, which are three of the main ones that speak about the qualities of the Guru and of the disciple at the same time. So one verse is from the Bhagavatam, Another verse which all of them are kind of parallel to each other is the famous verse from the Gita And then it's the third verse quoted by our Acharyas coming from the Mundaka Upanishad, which says sa Samit So these are three different verses, but basically they say the same thing, which is an important point. There's some reason for that. And interestingly, in these three verses, first, the qualities of the disciple are mentioned. Like making the point, if you as a disciple are not in your place, Guru will not be there. Even if you have the greatest personality in front, if you are not as a disciple in your place, you won't feel Guru, you won't contact Guru. So first, the qualities of the disciple are mentioned, mostly in two terms. One, as I mentioned, sincere inquiry, not to be introspective in one's investigation of truth, and what's, which are my motivations, and surrender to the guru. If the guru is, is, is again, proper representative and you are sincerely looking, when you meet this, your sincere inquiry and the proper representative meet, the natural way of, for the disciple to behave is, surrender to that so these are the two main qualities of the disciple in brief words and the qualities of the guru mentioned in these three verses are uh, to have knowledge of of shastra of revelation because the guru is expected to educate and instruct the disciple and, and clear the doubts based on scripture so to have proper knowledge of shastra to have inner realization of that knowledge not just lip knowledge and the symptoms of having this knowledge and the realization of the knowledge will be, as we mentioned in upa will be expressed in terms of controlled mind, controlled senses, balanced humanity, proper character, basically, behavior. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not only the only thing we can say about qualification for a guru, but to begin somewhere, Shastra is pounding this post three times in these three different verses. <laughs> uh, so, the guru ideally should have this, again, qualities, knowledge, realization, and balanced humanity, at least on some level. Again, there will be levels of gurus. So all the things may happen on some level, but on some level that have to be there. Because again, the guru is a representative of Krishna. For in the life of a disciple, he has the responsibility to transfer not only knowledge, but realized knowledge of Sambanda, Vidya, prayojan to the heart of the disciple. So the guru must be qualified for that function remember and remember when the Shastra says guru assumes the guru is qualified for that function <laughs> so these are the symptoms of a qualified guru again so I imagine now you apply the opposite to that and then you will have the symptoms of, a non-qual- of an unqualified guru which makes him or her worthy of being rejected so to say so let's go to the next section where we will be speaking about reasons for rejecting one's guru so again bear in mind the qualities that we just mentioned why to accept a guru what's expected from a guru proper knowledge, proper insight proper character and example so in opposition to that a guru who repeatedly unconsciously and consciously (laughs) not mere accidentally uh, deviates from these attributes that person is fit to be rejected, so to say. So let me share two of the main verses from Shastra which describe, uh, who address this point, when a guru is to be rejected, which are the qualities that make a guru rejectable, so to say. So the first verse comes from Mahabharata. It's basically the main verse generally quoted. So that it is said, It is ordained that a guru who is arrogant and self conceit. Conceited sorry who does not know what is to be done and what is to be avoided and who has stumbled down The wrong path is to be given up So that's one verse from the Mahabharata. There's a second verse generally also quoted It comes from the Guru Gita section in the Skanda Purana. It says one should give up a guru who does not have knowledge of Shastra who does not speak the truth and, is a, and who is a showman If he does not know the means to liberation for himself, then how can he guide others? So these are a few examples, the main ones. And again, the pattern is again similar hmm? and corresponding to the qualities of guru we mentioned, but now in opposition to that, so to say. Remember, one of the main qualities of the guru was to have knowledge of Shastra. So here it is mentioned one should reject the guru who cannot teach Shastra because he doesn't know it, basically. <laughs> if you don't know Shastra, you cannot teach Shastra. Mm-hmm. And this is what the verses that I mentioned say. The Guru has to know Shastra. The Gita says the Guru is Jnani has knowledge of Shastra, the Bhagavatam verse says the Guru Sabdinish natam. He's drenched in knowledge of revelation. And the Upanishad said the Guru shrutriyam He's familiar with Shruti, with the, the revealed knowledge. So a guru who is not that fits the quality for rejection, so to say. And then the second quality that we mentioned that the guru should have is realization of that knowledge. So here it is in this verse verse saying one should reject a guru who does not have that quality. They say like in the way the guru who takes the wrong path, the guru who is a showman, the guru who is self-conceited, the guru who does not speak the truth, basically, who lies, and so on, which again is the antithesis of what the verses say. The Guru has to have inner realization. The Gita will say the Guru is Tatva darshan; He's a seer of truth. The Bhagavad say Pari Nishnatam Upastham He has inner realization. And that Gupanita will say Guru is Brahmanishnam. He's fixed in the absolute. And this other example says he's deviating, stumbling the wrong path, doesn't know what to do, what not to do and so on. So it's clearly how the attributes of accepting a Guru create the opposition of those attributes makes someone to be rejected as a Guru. And again, these different faults in a Guru may take different shapes according to each particular case, and here, just given a general template, so one should consider that accordingly. Sri Lajiva Goswami, interestingly, in the Bhakti Sandarbha uh, Anucheda 238, he mentions that a Guru uh, such a guru, the guru, he quotes this verse that I mentioned about why to, when to reject the guru, and then he says, such a guru, quote unquote guru, cannot be considered a Vaishnav since he lacks the character of a Vaishnav, he says. Hmm. So who is a Vaishnav, who is not a Vaishnav? It's not about like external affiliation, but about exhibition of certain character. So if a guru co- lacks the character of a Vaishnav, he's not a Vaishnav. And Shastra says that a non-Vaishnav guru is to be rejected. Therefore, if a guru lacks the character of a Vaishnav, he's not a Vaishnav, and therefore he is to be rejected, according to Shastra.
1: Hmm.
0: Of course, when I, when that said, <laughs> when I speak about rejecting a guru, this is not a, a quick thing, a cheap thing. Oh, okay, okay, he's to be rejected. He doesn't know a verse. I have to reject it. He had this accidental fall-down No, I mean... Again, to reject one's guru, to begin with, is the very last thing a disciple thinks about when accepting initially a guru. Of course, <laughs> you are not even considering that possibility, and, and it's okay. So, And that's why, as we mentioned, a period of living together is recommended, so you can make sure that the person is well-situated, although in some cases the guru may be well-situated, and in time, for whatever reason, something happens. That can also happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, But it is said that even in the case of some falling or deviation, we have mentioned that, it is not advised that the disciple has to immediately abandon one's guru. Hmm? But one should first take some distance from the situation, Hmm? respectful distance, try to pray sincerely. Um, Even if it's required to point those things, those faults that the guru is engaging in, the disciple has to point them to the guru in service, in the spirit of service to him. That's said in by Narahari in, in his Krishna Bhajanambhita, famous section. He will say, it. if the guru commits inappropriate acts, then one should privately confront him and reprimand him using logical conclusions. But one is not to give him up. In that initial moment, again, when the disciple is saying, some particular deviation, something that is clearly wrong. Disciple is not advised to be like the three monkeys covering eyes and ears and mouth, but should probably confront the guru. Okay, not confront in, in, in a rebel way, challenging way, but intimately, affectionately. That's confrontation. It's intimacy. Mm-hmm. Because you love the person, you will take the necessary measures. And even you may reprimand the guru, it's saying here. Again, intimately, as a show of affection but not to give him up immediately of course however this instruction again applies in the beginning of a particular deviation but if the guru remains like the three monkeys in denial of his own deviations in denial of accepting any help for that after a long and painful insistence then and prayers the disciples is then advised to abandon that person because that person is not acting as a guru at all. (laughs) So in connection to to this particular scenario, also we should first consider some other things. Well, maybe if the guru actually rectifies himself after committed a particular deviation, one should ask, but will be that guru capable of guiding me on the path of bhakti after rectifying himself? Because if your answer is no, actually no. So in that case, there's not even need to wait for him to be rectified. If you see that there's a lacking of that capacity, mm-hmm. there's no need to have like hopes in something that may not happen, so to say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or also, if something happened again, we have to consider, was that like a, how to say, slipped? No, like like just a slip or a plan, planned action, premeditated thing? Now, because it was just an accident, again, there's no need to immediately run and look for another guru. Mm. We will think, okay, he, it was an accident, he's sincere, he's repenting, he's changing clearly, but Krishna's mercy, this won't happen again, hopefully. Mm. But again, if the person has deviated consciously, repeatedly, and is in denial of the situation and receiving help, then it's better to move on and, and look for some other shelter. Mm. Because even if that guru eventually rectifies, again, it's not guaranteed that the person will not relapse. Remember that Christian says in the Gita that the material samskars are very powerful and sometimes they force one to act even if one is unwilling to do certain things. So again, I'm just sharing general ideas and each case will be very specific, but all these elements should be put in, in the scale, so to say. And, and and of course there are in between scenarios. It's not just about continue with your guru, reject your guru. For example, an in between scenario could be, and again every particular situation is radically personal. <laughs> but an in between scenario could be like a guru engages in some misbehavior, and the disciple is not abandoning the guru, but feels the need to complement his shelter with the Siksha guru. Hmm may needs to take, it res- on some level, a respectful distance from that Diksha Guru, to give an example, not to reject, but to complement that connection with the Diksha Guru. And it's okay. Srila Goswami mentions this in Anucheda 238 of Sandharva. He mentions that with the permission of one's Guru, one can render service to other Vaishnavas, provided it doesn't conflict with the service of one's own Guru. And this is also a species. So there is place to do so, in, in a certain way, but also the point is, if my guru, to give an example, deviates, and I ask permission not to leave him but to take shelter with someone else, I guru say no. <laughs> I forbid you, despite his own misbehavior, then that attitude further qualifies, quote unquote, that guru to be fully abandoned, so to say.
1: Mm.
0: And there are many verses in shastra, very heavy. <laughs> about having an improper guru and we as disciples remaining with such an improper guru, especially well knowing that the guru is not acting as a proper guru. I won't repeat those verses here. They're too much. But they are speaking about very heavy (laughs) destinations that both of them attain by remaining together in in basically a relationship of self mutual cheating, so to say. Mm -hmm. Like making the point... This is not good, this is not real, this is not healthy. So something <clears throat> too important also to understand in this connection, because a guru may say again, you cannot go to anyone else, you remain with me, I'm your master or I'm your owner. Ideally, that shouldn't happen. A guru should never think I am the master or the owner of my disciple. There's a place for the disciple to feel that in a natural way, Hopefully from a healthy place. I belong to my Gurudev. He or she is my owner, master, whatever. But the Guru shouldn't feel that himself or herself. Like, oh, all of them belong to me and I'm their owner, their controller, or whatever. Again, the Guru is not the master of the disciple. The Guru is the servant of the disciple. The disciple is the servant of the Guru, but the Guru is the servant of the disciple in its own way. Because the Guru is a servant of the disciple's strata, The Guru is a servant of the heart of the disciple, of the faith of the disciple. So if the faith of a disciple is not fructifying, the Guru, who is a servant of that faith, should make the necessary arrangement for that faith to continue growing, whether under his own guidance or under the guidance of another more qualified vaishnava A Guru shouldn't have a problem with making those arrangements. Mm-hmm. Again, remember the relation relationship between guru and disciple is always one of love and trust, which means it should be voluntary, it should be free, it should be based on mutual confidence, natural affection between both parties. It's never like an imposed thing, and you belong to me or something like that. It's not forced in either direction, but ideally, as we mentioned. Guru-disciple relationship should represent ideally the most spontaneous and beautiful of all relationships. But but if we don't understand it properly, it will represent maybe the main source of trauma for many. <laughs> so we should be careful how we deal with this Guru tatva
1: <clears throat>
0: So if, if we as disciples are in the midst of that situation, where again, we clearly see that our Guru is not behaving properly and is not open to that. We should be sincere, whatever sincerity means for us at that stage. There are so many levels of that. But we should try to remain faithful to our values and principles and and, and not sentimentally attached to a person, only to the person, even if the person, despite the character of the person, so to say. Mm. But we should be attached to the truth that that person, the Guru, should ideally embody and if that embodiment is not there then we should remain attached to the truth not to the person Without the truth so to say hmm. We shouldn't compromise in other words our integrity and our ideas in the name of submission surrender and so on not blind Following not blind rejection of the guru but also not blind following <laughs> Now, if we need to reject the Guru, it has to be for the right reasons. If you need to follow the Guru, it has to be for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Like Sri Laksidhar Maharaj will say, paraphrasing one line of the Gita, sincerity is invincible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So if, if, if a person is fully sincere in purpose as much as he or she can in that stage, and, in the, in the, and that sincerity takes the person to see some f- clear fault in a Guru, And that person seeing the fault acts with integrity by not denying what he's seeing, but thinking about that, acting upon that in a proper way in acknowledgement of what's going on. Then that's also an example of a type of sincerity that is invincible. (laughs) It's not that you are an apparati and you go to hell by seeing a fault in a guru. That sincerity is invincible. If there is sincerity, again, that will be invincible. Mm Let me share a few words from Sila Maharaj in this connection. We will be invoking him a few times today from his Sri Guru and his grace. He says <clears throat> as follows In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna's final instruction is Sarva Dharma Parityaja Mamekam Shradhanam Braja. And he paraphrases this instruction in his own words If it's necessary to maintain the highest ideal, you must give up your friends. Surrender to me. I am the real purpose of the scriptures. Oh, that's Silasir Mara's reading of that line. And then he continues saying, The highest kind of ideal, idealists, idealists give up their country, their family, their friends, and everything else, but they can't give up their ideal. Hmm. I mean, of course, he's not saying you leave your family, but if that's necessary for the sake of the ideal, we'll leave everything except for the ideal. The absolute consideration is Sarva Dharma, Parityaja, Mami, Kamsharanam, Braja. Krishna says, give up everything, come to me directly. This is the revolutionary way. This is absolute. And then he concludes saying, and this is relative. Stick to your own clan, don't leave them. (laughs) So again, this is the same point over and over again. We are very... uh, We are inspired and pushed and, and, and suggested <laughs> and instructed to remain loyal to our ideal, even if that takes the form of having to live everything else. That's not what you think it should happen ideally, but if it has to happen, if I have to choose, I will always choose the ideal. And there are different examples in Shastra of people who reject, again, friends, family, even Guru, for the sake of their ideal. For example, in, in Ram Lila, you have Bibishan, Mm, who is the brother of um, of Bali no Bali Rabban so he rejecting his uh, relatives For the sake of his ideal mm? you have pralat Maharaj rejecting his father In one sense rejecting of course he's not re- but for the sake of his ideal mm? Hiranya Kasipu is not the main influence in pralat's life <laughs> Now in the Vatan this the story of Katwanga Maharaj also is leaving the Devas for the sake of what's beyond the Devas no or the brahmanas, the wives of the brahmanas and the Patnis rejecting their husbands for the sake of Krishna mm-hmm. or in the case of today's topic, we have Bali Maharaj rejecting his Guru, Sukracharya, for the sake of his ideal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so in connection to to Bali Maharaj, to this example of Bali Maharaj and Siddhar Maharaj that we just quoted. Also, there's this famous words that Siddhar Maharaj when, said when he joined, or when he came to the Gaudiya Mat, you know, that he will say like, okay, if there is no truth in what they are preaching, even if they put me on a throne and worship me, I won't stay here. Mm. But however, if the truth is here, to be found here fully, even if they beat me every day, I won't leave. Of course he's not promoting violence here he's just mentioning making a point <laughs> so that's the same thing no if the truth is not here I'm living if the truth is here I'm not living in any whatever it form it takes basically so this applied to today's topic again this quote basically says no matter what we should serve the truth
1: mm-hmm.
0: no matter the form the external shape of this con the circumstances mm-hmm. So, if elements of truth are absent, or untruth is present—in other words, in the, within the guru or within the behavior of the guru in relationship with the disciple—then, following Maharaj's idea ideas, I won't stay here, even if they put me on a throne, even if they whatever. If there is no truth here, I cannot stay here. And again, one of the famous examples of this is Bali Maharaj. He has his guru Sukracharya, and he was Bali Maharaj. <laughs> He was on a throne, basically. <laughs> but Sukracharya, as we know, when Bahman appeared into the scene, <clears throat> Sukracharya advised, quote unquote, Bali, do not give charity to him. Because he knew this is Vishnu cheating us, whatever. So he, he instructed Bali not to serve God, basically. And the Guru is not expected to say that. So when Bali Maharaj rejected his guru. And by doing that, he ended up being one of the 12 Mahajans, or the great personalities. Of course, in one sense, he didn't become a Mahajan by rejecting his Guru. But he became a Mahajan, but his unconditional addition, addition, like attachment to truth. Sorry, that was a Spanish word that I thought in English sounded similar. So his attachment to truth make him a Mahajan. And his attachment to truth, which is the actual principle, Took him to reject his guru, <laughs> so his actual rejection of sukracharya is just a byproduct of his attachment to truth, which makes him a, made him a mahajan. Bali So some words in connection to to this idea of um, when to reasons for rejecting one's guru. So now let's go to the next section where we will be talking about some misunderstandings concerning rejecting one's guru. Because again, this is not an easy situation, an easy scenario, so different things may happen. And and, and again, we said all these, and it seems to be clear, but in some cases it's very difficult to ascertain should I reject or not and how and why. And it's very painful, again, and and, and very overwhelming for a disciple to, to even re, re, start to awake to their realization and necessity, I may mean, need to, something is going wrong here in the direction I expect, expected it the least. Mm. So for example, to acknowledge my guru must be abandoned, that's a whole process, probably full of trauma as well. Mm. So we can totally understand, the, the compl- I can totally understand the complexity of that, you know, those dynamics and I can empathize, empathize with, with, with those situations. Mm. I mean, I myself have gone through that and I have witnessed that very closely from other situations as well. So in such a confusing situation, also what can happen in connection to this section is our own minds or sometimes the minds coming from the outer environment may come with certain arguments not to reject the Guru when actually that's necessary. (laughs) So misunderstandings about rejecting the Guru. (laughs) So let's in this section analyze some of them. Of course some misunderstandings could be rejecting a real guru for the, without a, any reason for rejecting that, which is an offense, an offense, guru Aparat. But here we are talking about mostly when you need to reject the guru, but what comes, what pops into some's minds not to do so. Mm-hmm. So a classical, to begin with, one of the examples, a classical one-liner could be, well, what, what do you gain mm-hmm. from proving that your guru is wrong in whichever way? Sometimes that can come from our mind or from other minds. But what do you gain by that? Again, bordering this idea of you are an apparati, you are just seeing the mistakes, the relative side, fault finder, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so the tone of this proposition basically allows for two, only two options. One is, okay, continue following the guru. Even if the guru is insincere, is deviated, surrender and you know something is wrong with just surrender quote-unquote surrender that's not surrender <laughs> but that's one option in how you reply to that voice well, okay i continue in a completely toxic way or second is if you proceed to prove your guru wrong with a good intention sometimes this idea will come again you are an paradi. No? you are you are attempting to criticize whatever so Of course, it's aparad if the guru is properly situated and you criticize something that is not there. (laughs) But if you, or or if you choose, as we mentioned, to abandon a guru for the wrong reasons, that's aparad, yeah. And and that's, it's important to make that clear. But if that's not the case, there's some deviation, you're seeing that that's not aparad. We already talked about that, I think, in the second talk on Guru Tatva. But unfortunately, this, this argument of what do you gain from proving that your guru is wrong? This argument is never considering that there may be a right and wrong way to follow and a right and wrong way to reject, as we already mentioned. So seeing faults in someone is not something necessarily wrong. It can be, again, a symptom of sincerity and service. So we can see faults, not find faults, but see faults in the spirit of sincere commitment to the truth, And and we can even see faults in a guru for the benefit of the person being criticized, even if it's one's own guru, or especially if it's one's own guru, because you are supposed to have a special affection for your guru. So if you see something that is to be addressed, you will point to that with a concern for the welfare of that person. And the guru is the person ideally disciple loves the most. So You follow my point, because some some cases will think the opposite. I could never say that to my guru. But actually, if you love your Guru and that's happening, that's the person you will tell that the most because that's a sign of your affection. <laughs> so, and and again, and, and if the Guru is showing something that is not correct, you as a disciple are not expected to, to follow that, to be chaste and submissive to that. So there is a place to disobey one's Guru in Guru seva. Mm-hmm. Although this idea may sound a little bit, paradoxical and impossible to accept for some. It may sound even like hypocritical or contradictory. How how you dare to say that you have disobeyed your guru in Guru Seva? But it's possible. (laughs) Not only when the guru is not rightly situated, you disobey that for the sake of serving the truth, but sometimes even when the guru is rightly situated. (laughs) Of course, I will give some examples. You need to understand that because if not, it can create... You have to be very sincere and mature to understand this famous example with Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur Gorky Shortas Babaji's first instruction to him was never go to Kolkata
1: hmm?
0: and the first thing that Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta did was going to Kolkata <laughs> so some people ask him like what are you doing your guru told you to not do that and you're just the first thing you're doing you're disobeying your guru of course he said what do you mean? I never went to Kolkata. I always remain on the lotus feet of my guru. So he made the point Kolkata is a state of consciousness. When I bring down is a state of consciousness. <laughs> Not so, But he went there in service to his guru. Although externally it seemed he was disobeying. He, on some level it seemed disobedience. Disobedience. On a deeper level is total loyalty and chastity. Or at the end of his life, Gorky Shortas Babaji to say that he asked Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, when I die, take my body, put it in a, tie it to a a bullet cart, and just move the cart and move my body through the whole floor of Navadvip, land of Navadvip. And Prabhupada Siddhanta couldn't do that. So he disobeyed the instruction. (laughs) But he, of course, again, from which place he couldn't do that, from a place of deep appreciation, how I, I would throw my divinely transcendental body of my Gurudev to the floor like that so again externally it seemed he was disobeying internally he was increasing his commitment with the essence there's a place to disobey one's guru and guru seba when he's rightly situated what to speak when the guru is not rightly situated (laughs) and he's acting or demanding from you you lie you compromise your integrity you sacrifice your ideals I cannot do that In service to Sri Guru, to the principle of Sri Guru, I must disobey Vyasti Guru. Mm -hmm. You follow my point. I cannot obey an instruction that goes against what Sri Guru represents. Mm -hmm. And Vyastri Guru should be represented that agency, basically. Mm -hmm. So again, every time we say you have to serve the Guru, surrender to the Guru, be humble and submissive, this can take many different shapes, as we can see. Even apparent shape of disobedience and that will still be Guru Seva if the heart is in the right place. Because externally it may take different forms, but the inner spirit is always the same. Surrender, humility, but it may take different forms. So we should be very careful not to stereotype how surrender should look, how submission should look, because if we conclude this is the only way it should be expressed, whatever doesn't fit that box, ends up being stigmatized. Oh, you are not surrendered or you are not humble. Well, probably you are being more humble than those who are condemning that, in some cases at least. So again, especially in the case when a guru is clearly not giving proper example or even falling and deviating in a very delicate way, We are not expected to surrender and be submissive in the way of continuing in that situation, but surrender and being submissive in the way of taking proper action. Mm. Let me share a few words from Silesidharmaras again, from Sri Guru and His Grace, which are very clear in this connection, which is the spirit, the attitude to take in the midst of such um, disaster situations, so to say. He says, In the beginning... We may neglect some occasional problems, some instances of these kinds of deviations may be ignored. When we start to see something is going wrong with my guru. But if we find that these are becoming more prevalent, then we must inspect the situation carefully. And we are to bring it to persons similar to my position. And after consultation, we can take the matter to higher sources and consult other Acharyas who are reliable. You can share that with peers, with seniors. When we find that what appeared to us first in a small way is real, injurious and of a big magnitude, and that our spiritual master is going down, then we must act to save ourselves. We must try to take steps which may save us from that epidemic contamination. We must try to save ourselves. And we must also try to save others who might fall prey to the same exploitation as us. That must be done in all sincerity. There is the possibility. It is mentioned in the Shastras, and so many practical examples are also there. So, we must not make progress in a slumber, but we must go forward with our eyes always opened. Period. <laughs> so, I think that's very clear. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, whenever we find something's going wrong, we have to be open to that, wait. But if that becomes apparent, we start to ask, talk with peers, with seniors. Eventually, we, have, we, have, we must need to save ourselves. And even, he said, we have to save others from that situation. Epidemic contamination, he will mention. But with all sincerity, again, not as an excuse to just criticize, demonize, or anything, but proper sincerity has to be in place. And in this way, we should progress. He will say, not in a slumber, but with eyes wide open. So Srila Simas is very clearly making this point. Not blind following, not blind rejection, everything done with proper sincerity and open eyes. So let's go to another misunderstanding regarding rejection, rejecting one's guru which as we mentioned sometimes it is made we mentioned that that's class the guru makes a mistake overlook that he's the guru concentrate on the absolute side transcendental side the relative side is the relative side and so on and on top of that okay the guru makes a mistake don't look at that but when disciples make the makes a mistake in that in those cases sometimes <laughs> it is said that all the responsibility should be fallen the upon the disciple Which, again, creates this shame and guilt uh, trips, basically. But in one sense, it should be the opposite. Instead of, no, every mistake of the guru is relative. All mistakes are in the disciple. In one sense, it should be the opposite in the sense of, if the guru is so advanced and high as ideally should be, In that case, any mistake should not be overlooked in that if some mistake comes, especially delicate mistakes, that shouldn't be overlooked. But carefully consider because of the consequences that may have on the students of the guru. Mm -hmm. The higher you are, basically, the more any of your actions will affect more people strongly. Mm -hmm. So the more responsible you are in that position in relation to what you do. But... If a disciple makes a mistake, well, it's the disciple. No, <laughs> it's not the guru, so to say. It's more normal and expected, like the mother, the father, and the child. The child will do some nonsense that the father, hopefully, is not doing. <laughs> so a disciple may make some mistakes, and it's, again, more normal and expected that such a thing will happen. Uh, so we shouldn't make of that something out of that more than what it is, an over load the disciple with guilt and shame. Or what to speak, of course, of cases like the guru's rejecting a disciple for his so-called mistake that the disciple never committed. Uh, all the while the guru's overlooking big mistakes that he himself is committing. But that's another topic. That's next class of guru rejecting the disciple. So, of course, when I'm saying this, that, okay, a disciple can commit a mistake. With this, I'm not over-justifying a disciple's mistake. Oh, we can commit mistakes. We are the disciples. It's okay. <laughs> or, or to overjudge if a guru makes one mistake, or let's overjudge his inner standing by that single mistake. We are not saying that. But just let's try to bring some balance to, to a discussion that many times is out of balance, <laughs> to be honest. And again, that many times give, gives place to over demanding on the disciple guilt and shame on the shoulders of the student or even ostracizing and shunning and many times gives place to complacency and abuse on the part of so-called gurus and, or, or his loyal followers so to say you know? <clears throat> another typical misunderstanding in those in these scenarios that we already also mentioned uh, is that sometimes say okay a guru fell down whatever that means or deviated and some will say he was never a guru <clears throat> If the guru fell it was he was never a guru. And probably those who say that, who re, who resort to that absolutization, so to say he was never a guru, are those who probably in the beginning were already absolutizing everything in the other direction. The guru is everything, he can never be mistaken, he's always perfect and absolute. And suddenly I realize he's mistaken. So he was, he was, he was everything, now he's nothing. He was never a guru. <laughs> But these two are extremes, or two sides of the same coin. And actually, we need a middle point in in this connection. Of course, there will be superlative gurus and superlative cases of great Utan bhagavatas. But <clears throat> in many cases, we will have gurus who commit mistakes, but it doesn't mean that they never are gurus or they were fake from day one or whatever. And again, this when we say some gurus will be great personalities topmost personalities, generally, that's more the exception than the rule. Uttam Mahabhagavatas are not that easily available, so to say. Like when Krishna is saying in the Gita, <clears throat> among many people, a few look for the truth, among those, a few... Find it among those a few and so on so we could make the same version of that verse in relation to the guru you No, know, like from most of the people there will be a few who will be gurus From most of those who present themselves like gurus most will be false you know, It's Full of full, false gurus in this world <laughs> From those who are genuine gurus most of them won't be Uttam bhagavatas And from those who are from most of those who are Uttam bhagavatas probably most of them we will never know we will never meet because many of them due to their advancement they have so much humility and they feel so much insignificant that they will see they are seeing krishna everywhere and guru everywhere so that extreme that takes them into extremely situation where they will never present themselves as guru something like that and not only we may never find those Uta mahabhagavatas and hopefully do not feel that i'm not giving hope you by saying this, just being realistic. <laughs> but not only you may never meet too many of those Uttam Mahabhagavat, that's an exception to the rule, but, but probably also you may not need to have an Uttam Mahabhavat guru necessarily. We may not need the highest person on the whole planet as our guru necessarily, as some devotees think they need or some devotees think they have, and they promote as such. My guru is the best person on earth or whatever. Or even if you get to have the highest Uttam Mahabhavad of the planet as your guru, it doesn't mean, that doesn't guarantee that you are taking full advantage of that association. <laughs> His position is not speaking about your situation necessarily. Which capacity do you have to deal with someone so advanced? And how willing we are to accept that our guru may not be an Uttam and that probably we don't need Again, the most advanced person in the particular stage we may be in now. Hmm. So an an example in this connection could be given. Like, for example, a student may have a a neophyte student, may have a a teacher who is relatively neophyte as well. It's not that advanced, but it's a little bit more advanced than the student. And that's enough for the student. It's okay. The the student doesn't feel, oh, I need you to be another And And eventually, when the student will advance to the point that the guru was originally, well, that student may need another more advanced teacher to compliment, or if that not so advanced teacher was sincere, naturally, when the student gets to the situation where the guru was originally, the guru for sure will be in a higher situation at this point already. So in that way, basically, the guru will be in the situation that the student requires the guru to be for him to continue being his guru. So from those, from those places, both guru and student will continue accompanying each other and advancing together, so to say, in their respective, of course, situations and positions, one as guru, one as a disciple. So that's, that, that's possible also. Again, let's be <laughs> realistic and not just try to impose a very forced scenario there. <clears throat> so some thoughts about this idea of possible misconceptions are about rejecting one's guru. Let's go to a last section before concluding where we will be speaking about the Rasalila on leaving one's guru. So that, that we will establish some connections here. You may wonder what <laughs> what's going on. And we already talked about this in, on the class of Rasalila that we gave in last Kartik. So that some points will be extracted from there. So let's draw some teaching from this. Rasa Lila, the ultimate Lila, the Zenith Lila for us, the Vaishnav, so to say. Mostly in re- in relation to how to remain chaste mm-hmm. to the absolute side of our search, so to say. You know? Our search of truth, no matter what. We, we have already talked about this a little bit. And how to act and how to feel, so to say, when Krishna seemed to disappear in our lives, from our lives, when in relation to how he used to come to us through a particular person because that was our version of Krishna, so to say. <laughs> and what happens with when that particular agent, a person no longer represents Krishna. So where is Krishna? How to act ourselves in that connection? Hmm. So as we know in the Rasa Lila, the gopis, <clears throat> after being called by Krishna's flute call, clarin call, the gopis sort, sort out many obstacles the dead of the night to reach him, and finally they arrive to Krishna's feet, and Krishna sees the gopis and is kind of surprised and asks them, like, "What are you doing here? Why are you are here in the night? I'm just one boy, and you are so many women. What are we doing here?" You no, know? and then he seems to send them back home. Although the Sanskrit lends itself to be interpreted as he's telling them, "Just that you have no place to stay but with me," or the opposite of that. <laughs> so again, love moves like a snake, as we mentioned. No? It's not clear, it's unexpected, it's crooked. Mm-hmm. So the gopis in this moment are in a liminal space. Oh, like, what's going on here? What to do? How to... They're inhabiting uncertainty. You know? they, Krishna called us, we came, now he's telling us to return. So they are uncertain about what's going on, but at the same time they have a very deep certainty in place, which is their love for Krishna. That's... That's, there's no doubt about that. So that certainty they have is what allows them to go through the uncertainty that Krishna is bringing forth. And Krishna brings forth the uncertainty to increase their certainty, basically. And that takes them, the is to debate with Krishna when he's sending them back. And they start to argue with him in the section called Pranayagita. And they defeat Krishna's arguments, basically. They win the debate against God, so to say, you know? That's not for the atheists. No, let's win the debate about God. So after the gopis defeating Krishna The first edition so to say of the Rasa Lila begins the first part They start to dance and sing and celebrate so as we see at this point already different layers of complexity are Integrated as the narrative progresses. He calls they come what's going on go back. They defeat. Okay. We begin hmm? So Krishna behaves unexpectedly, but the gopis adjust to that unexpected scenario and reply accordingly. Mm-hmm. So again, try to follow the idea. When saying Krishna here, try to find the parallel with the guru, being the representative of Krishna in our lives and sometimes behaving unexpectedly, and we have to act accordingly and adjust to that so our ideal is not compromised, basically. Mm-hmm. So when Krishna, going back for a minute, sends the gopis back, to their homes. Again, the gopis are presented with a further layer of testing. Because, again, the gopis reached Krishna's flute call. They reached the rasa the rasa dance arena, so to say. But Krishna says, thinks, hmm, Okay, let's see how much you want to participate in rasa lila. Maybe you are still in the rasa arena, but that doesn't mean you are still in rasa lila. So that's when he sends them back. Let's see if you really want to stay here and be part of this. Mm -hmm. So with his own approval, he's sending them back. So you have Krishna's blessing, so to say. (laughs) So here the gopis have a good reason to return because Krishna himself is telling them to do so. I will obey you, Krishna. Again, if the guru is telling you to do something, you're supposed to obey your guru. But what if the guru is telling you to do something that goes against your ideal? You, you shouldn't obey. You should debate and defeat, as we mentioned before. <laughs> Confront and point the mistakes. So the gopis disobeyed Krishna. They didn't go back home. Because that going back home were, went against their ideal of dedication. So I cannot do that, even if God tells me that. <laughs> that will compromise my commitments in service. That's what the gopis thought. <clears throat> so again, similarly, you follow my the parlor... <laughs> If the guru says or does something which goes against the standard of dedication the standard of integrity that is to be expected coming from a representative of god the disciple in those cases is invited not to obey mm. but to take as we mentioned at least some distance pray be introspective think okay krishna putting me is putting is, put is testing my sincerity in this moment mm, through this particular situation so what to do mm. the past disciple will pray and behave accordingly so again in other words the student is not expected to follow those instructions or that example from the guru which go against what is supposed to be revealed by sri guru Mm. and here we should make a brief clarification because someone may i don't know quote things like Prabhupada to say you should go to your guru with a no return ticket so what is the thing that disobeying or not surrendering no return ticket? <laughs> but again, surrender to the Guru with no return ticket, that is of course in consideration again that the Guru is fully representing Sri Guru. Prabhupada Kishanta spoke from that place. Like Shastra speaks about Guru. He behaves accordingly, you reciprocate accordingly. So if the Guru fully represents the principle of divine revelation you are to surrender to that in other words a disciple surrenders not to a person but to a principle that is represented by a person the principle of divine revelation which again comes through our life generally through a person so we surrender to a person in that context to the principle so the surrender is not to someone but to something if you want to put it like that to something that falls, that flows through someone. So you surrender to that someone because of that something, <laughs> so to say. We surrender to that principle, to that, to that ideal, to that commitment, in service of that ideal. And the gopis are showing that here again. They are surrendered to that ideal, even if it takes to debate Krishna and defeat him. And of course, the ideal of surrender that we are talking about is ongoing. So it's continuing and increasing forever. Mm. So again, if in some cases the principle of the Guru's representation is contradicted by the Vyasti, the representative, the disciple is not expected to surrender in that case. It won't be healthy. Mm. It's not surrender. It's Mm. (laughs) anti-surrender. That so-called surrender actually goes against the very principle of surrender. Mm. That becomes what Rupa Goswami called Niyama Graha, or doing something without The proper reasons for doing that Mm. (laughs)
2: Mm
0: -hmm. so when we say surrender to a guru with a no return ticket like Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will say yeah it means there is no return from that journey of surrender Mm. it's not something in relation to a person to an institution it's about the commitment with the journey the commitment with the idea there's no return in the sense that I'm not going backwards in my commitment with the truth Even if that takes to disobey my guru. (laughs) No no matter what form that takes, no no matter what's the price to pay and the consequences of always choosing the truth, there's no return ticket in that sense. And that's for the gopis' idea. The gopis showed that here. No return ticket, no return back home. Krishna is telling him, go back home. Gopi is saying, our homes are no longer our homes. This is home here with you. So we are we are in home. <laughs> in that sense, they are, they are not going back. And of course, if we are sincere to that principle, even if it takes the form of having to abandon one's guru, Krishna will continue calling us, so to say. Like the Gopis here, they are disobeying Krishna, but Krishna is not abandoning them. Oh, you disobey me, I reject you. And Krishna is more and more attracted by that. And Krishna will continue calling us, as we mentioned, but not necessarily calling us always in the same way,
1: you
0: which know? is an important point to make here also in connection to the Rasalila and the flute playing, you know, the, the call of Krishna, so to say. You know? So Krishna will be calling us in different stages in our life in different ways. So we as disciples shouldn't be too attached in, in, to the form of the call, to the sound of the flute, how the, the, the note, which note will that be? but to the substance of the call, not to the form of the call. And we see how in Rasa Lila Krishna is doing that. He's playing the flute. Then he's sending the gopis back. The gopis defeat him. Then he starts to play the flute again during the Rasa Lila and dancing with them. Then he disappears from Rasa Lila. Then the gopis search for Krishna, call for Krishna. Then Krishna reappears. Then Rasa Lila restarts. Then Krishna plays his flute again. And then Rasa Lila attains the consummation point. But Krishna plays the flute at different moments, in different ways, with different things happening in between. (laughs) So the point is the flute won't sound always the same. And it won't sound always coming from the same place or in the same form, with the same shape, or from the same direction. So we should be willing, again, to leave everything behind, like the gopis are doing, and just run to the flute call wherever it comes from, however it comes from. However, it, it chooses to come for us today. Mm-hmm. So, so when, when I'm saying for us, again, I'm, I'm also saying Krishna's call will be not only different for each person, but it will be different for, for ourselves in different stages of our journey. The call will be different. It's the same, but it's different. <laughs> you follow my point? A <coughs> no? classical example also is that... <coughs> But again, this is a, new, a nice point. Krishna will be playing the flute. He plays the same flute, the same note, but each one will hear also it differently. That's also important to up. And each one is responding to the call differently, but all of them are doing it properly. You know? So a classical example is when Srila Prabhupada left his world and some issues were there in ISKCON, as we know. Some of his disciples sincerely hear Krishna's flute call in the direction of taking shelter in Sri Maharaj or in other sadhus. And others hear heard the flute call also equally sincerely in the direction of staying in the institution in iskon and trying to prove the situation there. And all of them were right. That's my point. The, the flute call was the same. The reply to the same situation, taking different shapes. So When Prabhupada was about to leave his body and say... I want to do parikram and go over there with a bullock cart. And some were totally opposed to that feeling. He will die. His health is so fragile. And some others, well, his, his last wish, we have to please him. So different replies, replies to the same flute call, so to say. And all of them were sincere. So Krishna was enjoying that diversity of opinion. <laughs> so again, if, if if we are sincere, all those different responses will be correct. There's Again, there's not single absolute flu, flute call for everyone, that everyone is expected to reply in the same way. Again, Krishna played the same flute note for the gopis in the Rasa Lila, but each gopi heard the flute call differently. In, in, in fact, our Acharya said that each gopi, <coughs> sorry, each gopi heard their own name included in the sound of the flute, like a, like a guided mis, my, missile or something. Like, that's radical personalism. Krishna plays one note, but it reaches each one in a ultra-personalized way. Your name included there. But it's the same note. (laughs) Indeed, other brajabasas did not even, apart from the gopis, did not even hear the the call at all. It's very specific how it reaches each person. So what constitutes a flute call for some is not even heard by others. (laughs) And some others will hear another call that the others ones are not hearing. And it's okay. We should bear that in mind and properly honor that. Surrendering to the flute call, whatever it sounds, however it sounds, and not from the place where it sounds or how it was used used to sound in the past, which the shape it's taking. And this is in connection, again, to the Guru, on our situation with the Guru in cases like today's, which the flute call may come from another direction, in another shape. and of course an important clarification is that also we sometimes may be too too certain that we are following krishna's flute call while actually we are remaining in our comfort zone and compromising our identity that can happen so that should be we should go through some litmus test not to end up cheating ourselves in the name of the flute call i'm all i following the flute call because i remain in this situation that's what krishna wants and probably he wants you to move forward So we shouldn't cheat ourselves in this way. Of course, we should either be rebels without a cause. But if there is a cause, a noble cause, a call to a noble ideal, we we must be willing to risk everything in the pursuit of our ideals. Mm -hmm. But again, we should understand that while we are, we can either reject, as we mentioned, we can reject a cause or a call for the right reasons, and we can reject it for the wrong reasons. We can also join or reject uh, anything else guru for the right reason for the wrong reasons you No, know, as we mentioned in the beginning of the series we can remain in Gaudiya Vaishnavism for the wrong reasons <laughs> but we should learn to remain as Gaudiya Vaishnav for the right reason so it's not a black and white issue as, as we may think no Krishna again doesn't play one note or if he plays one note it's not in the same way so it's not that by if a guru is deviating and you stay there that may not be good but a guru may not be deviating, but you are accepting him from the wrong place. That may not be good either. You may be rejecting for the wrong reasons. So many possibilities are there. Mm. So, again, just to conclude the flute call analogy, we may be hearing the flute call in one direction. And again, every other person may not be hearing that flute call. But if we are genuinely calling that direction, we should go there. And that's okay. Mm. And that should be not only okay, but that should be properly honored venerate not only our flute call but everyone else's flute call and, and and learn to coexist with that diversity of of hearing of the call, so to say. <laughs> you know, unity in diversity. Hmm? Individuation, radical personalism, and so on. Hmm? Anyhow, some words regarding Rasa Lila, the flute call and and what to do in this situation. Let's conclude with a few words and and, and we are over today. So as we mentioned, we can feel, okay, Krishna is manifesting, just to wrap up today's presentation, Krishna's coming to my life through a person, a guru, he's manifesting in my life, and I'm surrendering to that person, and everything seems to work for some time, but what happens if at some point we feel, again, that person is no longer representing Krishna? Are we wrong by feeling that, or we were wrong from the day one to accepting that, or probably we were there was no wrong at all. It just happened to happen now. So again, if we were sincere, it was okay. It had to happen in that particular way. In the beginning, someone represented Krishna for us. We felt that representation. We surrendered to that. That was what it had to happen. But eventually, that person, for one reason or another, stopped representing Krishna. And we don't feel surrendering in that direction anymore. There is place for that as we are mentioning. And <clears throat> not going to either of these streams to just continue blindly or to whatever, reject without any type of gratefulness. The middle point is what balances the equation basically. No? If, even if I have to eventually abandon someone who at some time helped me, I will, re- I will remain appreciative and grateful <clears throat> from whatever I received from that person. But again, that doesn't mean that I stop seeing the current deviations that may be there. As we say the other day, always forgive, never forget. So we have to be willing to forgive and be grateful, but not to be blind and forget things that happened or are happening. So if I, of course, if I force myself to only see the good thing always, I become extremely naive, and that lends itself to different forms of abuse. But if I over-justify the bad thing in someone and over-expand like that, I became full of ungratefulness and resentment and vengeful spirits. Of Again, middle point always, even if in some point we need to take a distance from the person who was our guru. So if we have gone through a situation like that, or if we are going through a situation like that, or if we may be going eventually, or we know of someone going through that, we shouldn't be ashamed of going through a situation like that. Again, I'm not proposing that. Let's go to a situation like that. <laughs> but if that happens to be the case, don't be ashamed of having gone through one guru or two gurus or whatever the case. But if, I mean, if you were not sincere, be ashamed of not being sincere. But if you were sincere, don't be ashamed of whatever your sincerity took you through. Instead, remain grateful. Humble, sober, <laughs> sincere, and continue pursuing the truth with that sincerity upgraded. Hopefully, learning from the past mm. and continuing. Maybe we may have to. That's that's our journey. We may have to go through different gurus, through different groups in one lifetime, in many lifetimes, till we reach our ultimate goal. That was, in one point, made clear in the very first book of our Gaudiya Sampradaya, which is the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, Gopakumar's journey. In the words of Srila Siddhar Maharaj, Gopakumar went through different religious conceptions and paramparas, even, he will say. And every time he met one of those, he will think, oh, this is the best. And eventually, his own sincere inquiry took him one step further here and there, and eventually to his desired goal in Braj. So that's in the very first book of our Sampradaya, which clearly sets the precedent, this can happen. Uh, your journey toward your ultimate goal may include different other paramparas, gurus, journeys, or whatever. <clears throat> so again, don't be discouraged or ashamed because of that. If we understand and accept this, the principle of guru from with sincerity and from the right place, again, the, the, that same principle will always continue granting us all, all bless, all the blessings that we need, that we will be needing, even more than what we need, so to say. There's an abundance of, of, of unconditional love and grace. Mm-hmm. But of course, if the the same principle of guru is not properly addressed, mm-hmm. this same tatwa, which is misrepresented or misunderstood, out of proper context, whatever, that same tatwa can become, in many cases, the cause of greatest. Of our greatest afflictions or greatest trauma in our life if not properly addressed and understood so in that spirit trying to hopefully avoid any unnecessary affliction something that we can avoid <coughs> in that spirit trying to save us whatever for for avoidable an avo- avoidable confusion <laughs> is that we have shared today's words and that we are sharing these words in connection to to Guru Tattwa, hoping, hoping to provide some some clear understanding about how to understand these complex scenarios like the ones we have addressed today, and like the ones we are addressing throughout this series. So, some words regarding today about abandoning abandoning one's Guru. We'll conclude here, and there's a little homework for those who will like, which will be try to reflect. On the spirit of searching for truth, no matter what, as we mentioned, as real courage and surrender, and try to notice any possible misconceptions you may have had about this, about what it means to surrender, what it means to search for truth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, next Tuesday, we will continue with the fifth part of this series on Guru Tata. Again, we will see another part. Similar part from the other side of this equation. Instead of abandoning one's guru, we'll be speaking about being rejected by one's guru. Hmm. So, thank you so much for your time, and I wish you next Monday very happy, blessed Sri Gorpurnim, appearance day of Sriman Mahaprabhu. So, we will see the next day after Gorpurnim. So, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai. And we will have a class on, on that day, on Monday, sorry. <laughs> So those who would like to connect, we will be sharing the flyer uh, these days. So please check that and you are invited to join us on that same Monday, mid-morning EST time. Shriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Shri Gaudiya Sampradaya ki jai, Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrind ki jai, Shri Guru Tatva ki jai, Vancha Pramananda Haribo Vanchakalpa Darubyasya Kribasindubyayivacha Pati anam pava nepya vaisnava pya namo nama koti vaisnava brnda ki zai hari hari voh